This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I just want to apologize to people. Uh, we, we've been very sporadic lately. Um, part of that is me. I actually have one podcast that we did three weeks ago that I haven't even put out yet. Um, so I'm going to try and get um, that out in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, we've had some pretty good topics to, to bring up. I was actually hoping to have my wife on, but she sort of chickened out because um, what we're the topic for today is going to be um, my recent fat loss cycle, um, which is actually a mini cut. I'll talk to you the difference and stuff like this, but it's really important that people understand that when you do like a little cleanup or a mini cut, it still is a fat loss cycle. It's just shorter, right? And so a lot of the times when, you know, people hear about this kind of thing, um, they think it's like magical, you know, and, and I want to kind of dispel that myth because at the end of the day, um, you're, you're ultimately, especially as we teach it, you want the calories to be higher most of the time, right? So we'll get into that a little bit. Susan is here. Susan, if you want to tell everyone how to get in touch with you, that would be great. Hey, so I am at drskleiner.com, D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com is my website or on Facebook at Dr. Susan Kleiner, on Instagram at Power Eat and the same on Twitter. And so if, if you haven't, you know, and you're looking for a good buy um, as it relates to performance eating and things of this nature, um, New Power Eating is the newest book that she has out. And I would highly suggest that. She does have another book that I'm a big fan of. Um, and that's The Good Mood Diet. You can get that on like a Kindle and things of that nature, that's really like a good basis. And then like new power eating just ends up being kind of a, 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 a muscly version of that, right? <laughs> like, but, but the good mood diet, um, it, it's probably sounds like you're dealing with a little bit more brain things and, 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 and this type of stuff. But at the end of the day, it really kind of sets the foundation of how you eat habits, and, and stuff that I think a lot of beginners would like. So those are two good options for you. I think you'll like both of them um, if you're a fan of Eat to Perform. Um, obviously, I'm Paul Nobles. I am the founder of Eat to Perform. If you're looking to join Eat to Perform, you're certainly welcome to. Just go to www.eatperform.com. One of the things that I always like about what we do compared to, to a lot of other places is you can go directly to our site, put in your information and you can talk to a coach and that coach is gonna walk you through exactly what your plan will look like before you buy it, right? So I, I always think that's kind of interesting. So I wanted to talk, you know, I, I thought it was gonna be interesting to have this conversation with Susan. Like I said, my wife chickened out um, <laughs> and, and um, but she's done better than me. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about her experience as well, um, because it's funny because, uh, well, let me, let me get into the, to the basics and then we can kind of go from there. One, I, through my experience with Eat to Perform, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that the non-dieting period sets up good dieting periods, right? It's a little bit like, I, I'm not, it's the only thing I can think of off the top of my brain. So please don't kill me, you know, but it's a little bit like heaven, right? Like the thought process of why people believe in religion and things of this nature, it's all really good. But if you don't have heaven, you know, it's really bad. You know, like I think the motivations, you know, all end up being better. And, and I just want everybody to understand that the heaven part is the part where you're not dieting, right? It's not the, the heaven isn't the dieting part, right? And it was the only thing that I could think of as a metaphor at the moment. So I apologize if that offends anybody related to religion, but I think it's a good way to think of it, right? Like if, if you're looking for what the panacea is for, you know, what your future life is going to be, you have to look at the phase where you're not dieting as the part that you like the most, right? Because that's the part where you're working out the best. That's the part where, you know, you're able to have ice cream when you're on vacation and, and eat freely and all of these things, right? And so um, that's just something that I kind of wanted to bring up. So I remember having a discussion with a friend of mine. Um, this was after I lost the hundred pounds, right? Um, and I knew it was gonna be difficult to get back to the place of being food friendly. Um, but I basically told him, I was like, I don't really have any plans to diet in the next 10 years. Um, and that I was going to have to kind of deal with the mentality of gaining weight and, and, and just all of these different things that had become so important to me to lose a hundred pounds. Right. And it's funny because reflecting back on that conversation and being basically 11 years later, that is sort of what I did, right? Um, now, what I have done and the way that I do it is I view things in like five-year cycles, right? And in those five years, I want to be mostly not dieting, right? Like the heaven part of dieting is the part where you're not dieting, Um and, and I've been able to maintain that. So I did have a fact, so, I, so um, just for, so Susan kind of understands the high level. Um, I started my weight loss when I was like 38. And then um, uh, in true eat through form fashion, I was eating 5,000 calories, lost hundred pounds. But in that time, I was certainly not the person that I am now. I'm certainly not the coach. You know, I was just a guy that worked out a lot and had a lot of time to do so. So all of the things that ultimately became eat reform was not necessarily reflected in my experience, but also wasn't, you know, um, there's still a lot of what we do today that I borrow from that time, right? But I definitely knew you know, from 10 years of dieting between 30 and 39, where I literally tried everything that, you know, I needed to go the other way and kind of take a look at what it would be like to perform and to eat and things of this nature. And at that time, I was not 
an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I was not active. Uh, you know, after basically 10 years of dieting, I, ne- I didn't really ha- feel energy, right? And so I would go in these streaks where, you know, I would lose, you know, like the 100 pounds I lost, literally two years before that, I, I'd lost 75 pounds, right? And, and there was a time three years before that where I lost 50 pounds, right? And so each time basically just kind of gained interest. And Susan knows why, I know why. I don't know that we're gonna get into that in this podcast, but I wanted to really talk about, you know, how to mentally set yourself up to get out of the rut that you're in, right? Because, you know, like I said, my wife and I, when we do like any kind of weight management or anything, we do it together, you know? And I know that there's a lot of people that are listening to this and they do not have a support system like that in place. Well, that's why you buy Eat to Perform, right? Um, and, and, or that's why you buy some, you know, work with Susan or, or, you know, you have to build in some things that matter to you. I did see something and I posted it and it was like, if you want to be something, if you want to succeed at something, find the people that are doing it now and become friends with them. And that's what I believe is the core of each reform. So you have to understand that not only have I view it in five-year cycles. Um, My wife used it in in five-year cycles. I will say that my wife is not a chronic dieter. You know, she is is not someone, I would say, I think like she flirted with Weight Watchers around our wedding, which would have been around when I was 25. Um, She's maybe, you know, um, she's always been a good eater, right? Like, Like she eats um, good whole foods, uh, much more than, than I would have. I did not have like this upbringing where I came home and dinner was cooked and there was veggies over here and stuff like that. That was not my reality. I had to learn those habits later on in life, but I just wanted to set up the basis of the five-year idea and the five-year idea, by the way, doesn't mean that oh, I'm waiting for the fifth year to come so I can finally diet, right? Once again, like we're just going to look at what's going on and then make an assessment from there. If it, you know, there just needs to be a little cleanup or something like that, that's fine. If it is a full-blown fat loss, that's fine. But I'll talk about more of the details as we go. But there has to become a part of your life where you go, for me, the number's 200 pounds, right? I feel best. I perform best. I lift the most weights. Now, I know that I lift more weights at 225, as an example, just because I understand how weightlifting works, right? But, but there's a health component, right? And so to me, the, the compromise you know, is that 200 pound number. And I'll, I'll walk you through it because I currently don't weigh 200 pounds. I'm not looking to weigh 200 pounds, but it is kind of a ceiling. And so we'll talk through kind of ceilings and floors and just how to think through some of that. 
So I'm going to hand it off to Susan because one of the things that I really want everyone to understand is that Etherform is based on the concepts of how you build your body, right? And when we talk about your body, we're not just talking about muscles like Susan was talking about before we got into the podcast. It, it's your organs, it's tendons, it's all of these things that come from, you know, the food that you eat in abundance that allow you to operate in the gym at 90% rather than 55%, right? I think the majority of you listening to this podcast that, you know, are just eating real food and a lot of these other things that are kind of holding you back from eating an inadequate amount an adequate amount for what you need to work out and perform at your best are often using like these different tricks to kind of stop your hunger signaling right and and as you become more aware of that you start to realize oh wait a second you know chicken and kale actually just doesn't have a lot of calories right um doesn't mean that chicken and kale can't be a big part of what you do but you know I'm going to try and walk you through, you know, my mindset. I think it's Susan's mindset. It's really the, the mindset of a lot of people within health and fitness. That's a little different than kind of what you're seeing on Instagram and kind of what you see on Facebook, right? Where, you know, everybody's abbed up, right? Um, I'm, I'm guilty of it. You know, I, I have abs. I have pictures of my abs that are better than the other pictures of my abs, but I try to give like a more rounded experience. And so Susan, why don't we talk a little bit about kind of the bodybuilding piece? Cause like what we were talking about before the podcast, even bodybuilders, you know, get caught up in these dieting cycles, certainly um, fitness contest performers that are smaller, things of this nature, certainly bikini competitions, these folks are dieting a lot more than they're not dieting, right? And this is the conversation that we're trying to have for this podcast, right? Yeah, so thanks, Paul. It's a great topic and something that people who have, you know, are fitness minded, that are reading lots of magazines, that are looking aspirationally at fitness competitors, physique competitors, bodybuilders, bikini competitors, sort of across that gamut, um, get caught up in number one, the marketing component, which sells magazines. Don't forget that what may be told in a magazine may not resemble at all what the actual athlete is doing just so you know. I mean, I've got athletes that are labeled vegan athletes that I know darn well are not vegan. I work with athletes that are labeled as keto athletes that I know darn well consume plenty of carbs. So be very careful about believing everything that you read. Uh, but um, the, the world of competitive physique um, has has really shifted and and I started my research with uh, national and international competitive male bodybuilders championship male bodybuilders in 
uh, the early 1980s. And, and in the 80s and 90s, this was, uh, you know, the, the period of cutting for competition was very brief compared to the years of growth and building. Uh, many years. And, and today, it's actually the same. It hasn't changed. The champions that you see on the pages of, of magazines or, or websites and, uh, and, and all, um, those people have put years into growing their bodies. Uh, and the standard today, I can tell you certainly in, in my practice and with those who work with those athletes, is to minimize the amount of cutting that they have to do. Many of these folks, men and women, are want to stay basically photo shoot ready year round. So they go up in weight, depending on the size of the athlete, whether they're a, you know, a, a very lightweight up to heavyweights, they may they may vary by 10 to 15 up to 30 to 50 pounds almost. Uh, and, and go up and down depending on is it a photo shoot, is it a, is it a competition, what's happening, what am I supposed to look like, am I going to be in a, in a role in a movie, those sorts of things. And so the, the, the weight fluctuations we try and maintain, and this is what Paul is talking about, it's kind of the non-diet phase, that's their, well, or you could call maintenance, but maintenance as is at their higher level where they actually feel and perform much better than they do during their dieting phases because their goal is not performance, their goal is performative. And so it's what they look like, not what they can do. And so to remember for you, if your goal is to actually live an active life, function in a job and in a relationship and in a family, be able to um, have resilience and be able to keep your immune system um, working at full tilt. So things don't, whatever may come along that's an infection or whatever doesn't knock you flat. So you can't get back on your feet and training and doing what you need for months at a time, then you want to be as much as possible in that non-diet phase and and be in your cutting phase or your or your weight loss phase or fat loss phase for a much briefer period of time um, and and then allow yourself to not be so low not have a goal that's so low that it's unsustainable it, it there's what's the point of that if you're yo-yoing all the time and you always feel like a failure rather than a success well, that was that was something that that I really had to work my way through, right? Because for if you don't know, Susan, um, at my leanest, I got down to 149 pounds, right? And there was a lot of repercussions to that, um, and I've talked about them a lot of times. But um, I just thought a left eye twitch was going to be normal, right? You know. Um, stress was, was just going to be what it was. Um, sleeping. my, my sleep was, was not great. Now you have to understand I'm eating 5,000 calories at this point. 
But the problem is, is that I'm stressing my body out so much. I mean, at this time, I'm doing two, three workouts a, or a day. Um, and so when people say you can't out eat a bad diet, I have some proof that you can, right? I'll train, you but mean I'll train a bad diet. I'll, I'll, tra I'll yeah. train a bad diet. The, the problem that you run into, though, is it won't end up being worth it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, when you, you kind of get obsessed with, and, and I just don't want to get focused on this because I, I want to really kind of get into this basic piece, but, you know, you kind of get into 8% body fat, you really get into hundred pounds lost, right? Because you imagine that that matters to people. And it was so funny because there was no celebration. There was no parade, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, it's weird. I think a lot of people know that I'm sober and that I've been sober for 32 years. Um, every year it comes around. Um, it's a very private celebration. Sometimes I'll let people know just because I, I think, you know, comrade in arms kind of thing. But it is a celebration of not being a screw up. Mm -hmm. right like at the end of the day and so there's always been like a conflict with it and that's what that's why I don't think there's a parade right because when you lose 100 pounds people were like yeah well we were going to talk to you about that whole obesity thing right it's like it's it's an awesome accomplishment um but at the end you know what was funny is that the evolution of eat perform actually happened because of a family member going can you stop talking about dieting? No one cares, right? And I was like, I really do think some people care um, about the way that I'm doing it. And at that time, I started meeting some people that ultimately, you know, are some of the biggest people in the industry now. And they weren't then, you know, um, because we were all kind of saying something a little different right um we were introducing some science to people that really hadn't been exposed to that i will say the maintenance idea that you talked about earlier <laughs> i always challenge that because um and I, I we've talked about it i i i just never know who's listening to the podcast at what point like have they listened for the last eight years mm -hmm. you know uh probably not right the thing about maintenance is that if you're at maintenance, you're almost certainly under eating, right? Because what happens is, is that people get too concerned about the number on the scale and they end up not pushing that high side of things. Right, right. right? Well, so you told world, me- Yeah, so in my world, and I guess it, it is very important to, to say that we are in two different worlds. Yeah. In my world, maintenance means that you've decreased your training. You're still eating. You're kind of in your off season, and you're you're just you're just hanging out where you are. Your training is you're not in a growth phase. You're trying to you're just resting, and right. and it's a it's not your ultimate place that you stay forever, because right. the, where where most of my clients are most of the time is in a growth phase. Right, but but. But there are large brands within fitness 
right. that talk about maintenance a lot and they have people at 1300 calories. Right, like, right. That is not at all what I'm talking about. Or I'm men at 1800 calories. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where I just kind of wanted to, because I think a lot of people look at it and go, man, am I supposed to be eating this much? Not only were you supposed to be eating that much, you were supposed to be eating that much for the last 30 years. I did not know this, right? Like I always viewed the amounts of food that I was eating like like I was bad or something, right? Like, like you know, if you're eating 3,000 calories a day, what's the number you're supposed to eat? Well, we all know what it is. It's 2,000 calories. For women, it's 1,200. These were the numbers that were put out there in an arbitrary way, irrespective of your total energy expenditure. And so when you walk and you garden and you do all these other things within your life, um, I mean, certainly there are people out there that don't have these habits in place. Like as an example, my wife and I will go for a walk. If we go for a walk at five o'clock, a lot of people are walking. So we don't go for a walk at five o'clock because of COVID. We go for a walk at eight o'clock and no one's walking. Even at five o'clock, a lot of people aren't walking, right? We know that a lot of people aren't in the gym. They don't have these habits in place. I don't want to pretend like that does not exist. It certainly does exist. But if you look at the core of what Eat to Perform is, a lot of people want to want to misconstrue it as, you know, it exists for these athletes that are so beast mode and that, and, and this one kills me because there are people that are gym owners and high level CrossFit game athletes and stuff like this that will literally say, you don't deserve to eat the amount of carbs that I eat. Those people bother me so much, right? Because your basic level of understanding, you have to understand that if you come to fitness, there's a lot of reason that people come to fitness for a lot of different reasons. Um, hold on one second. Sorry, I had to cough. Um, the, and, and, and not all of those reasons are healthy, right? So, so these people are sending out these messages and you're listening to these messages and a lot of people are attracted to some of these messages sometimes. Remember the sugar detox? Everyone was sugar detoxing like a few years ago as if like you were going to sell your microwave to get some sugar, right? right? <laughs> like, like, like sugar, I mean, as someone who's an alcoholic, I understand the um, chemicals and how it affects your body right? But until you're, you know, um, selling, you know, personal items to get a Twix bar, um, you're not addicted to sugar, right? You're probably not eating enough energy. The other times you probably don't have some habits in place as it relates to meal planning. I was actually having a conversation with a client the other day who said she was struggling. I said, I have one question for you. How much cooking, how much chicken is in your refrigerator right now? She's like, what? And I said, I just want to know. I said, because you told me all these things, right? I just want to know how much chicken is in your refrigerator right now. She's like, none, you know? 
I was like, that's the problem. The problem isn't that you have all these other reasons, right? It's that the one foundation you need to go into your, your refrigerator and find food is not in place, mm -hmm. right? And so, so rather than thinking about, oh, how am I going to piece all this together? Why don't you just put the pieces together first and then we start going from there, right? So I'm going to use that as a segue to how I started. So this might be something that a lot of people don't know. Much of what your experiences are with Eat and Perform is not what my experience was with Eat and Perform. Eat and Perform has gotten better all along the way without Paul dieting all the time. I mean, the one thing that drives me crazy is some of those people that, that, that you know, I thought were kind of allies to what I thought you know, and it sounded real similar to the things that, that I think, like you'll hear them say stuff like just eat the cookie or one meal's not going to kill you. And they're dieting all the time, right? There's a guy right now who's a, who's big within the uh, Instagram world. And I swear to you, this guy's dieting nonstop, you know, and he's been dieting nonstop for 10 years, the whole time I knew him. And when we first started to, to, to interact, I thought we had like a, a kinship related to the power of food, right? But but his North Star is being smaller a lot, right? And and he'll tell you all about muscle building and things and all these things. And and at times he'll do it, but you know, if he gets to 164 pounds, you know, he's gonna diet back to 149 right? And that's not my North Star. And I don't think it's many of your North Stars. I think many of you would actually like to have the freedom to, you know, when you're not feeling, you know, the plan on any one given day, that you can, you know, be mindful and just eat foods that you enjoy, right? Because really, no one day matters even when your calories are higher, right? So I wanna get into that a little bit because what I did right out the gate, you know, is I did exactly what I said to that, that person. You know, I went to Amazon. I mean, look, if you're struggling right now with food, they deliver groceries to your house, right? Like we've gotta quit pretending that all of these made up things in our head they're just made up, right? And I understand it's difficult to build the foundation of going to bed at the right time and, and meal prepping your food and, and making sure that you're set up for success. But that's what adulting is, right? I mean, if you show me someone successful, a lot of the time I can make a direct comparison to when they go to bed and when they started to go to bed at that time, right? And you can see a direct relationship to discipline and moving from being a child and being a teenager to an adult, right? And I think a lot of us are still caught up into these, these messages from way back when. And 
need to move, or at least let me just say this, I certainly needed that, right? I just did not come from this highly disciplined way where you had a bedtime and you had vegetables with your food and, and things of this nature. So I, I know um, I might be speaking more towards me than I am to other people. Well, the so only when thing I want to interrupt you just to say yep. that as you say yep. this, there's a certain message that sounds like just do this. And, it, and if you just decide to do it, it's easy. And the fact is, it's not. But if you, if you recognize you need to do it, that's where the coach becomes so critically important. That's where they can help guide you with different techniques when you are struggling with how, okay, I want to make this change, but I'm just not doing it. That's yeah. where you reach out for help, like an alcoholic reaches out for help. You know, you don't, you don't, um, you don't become sober. Most people don't become sober. Most people don't quit smoking. Most people don't do any of things that are highly habitual and, and at least somewhat, if not completely physiologically driven by themselves. And so whether it's eat to perform in a coach or it's your spouse or partner who does it along with you, or you find a community that, that helps guide you and you importantly get out of the community that's taking you in the direction that you don't wanna go, that you, or pick up New Power Eating and in there I have written the guide program that I use with my clients where we actually structure and plan moment to moment around the time of day that they're trying to change an old habit into a new habit. Which I will say, you know, I just, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that that's true. And that was true for me. I had to reach out to the Mike Nelsons of the world and, and, and many of the people that, um, you know, I hadn't met you at that time, but I'm sure we would have connected really well, sure. you know, and, and it was really helpful. I will say books can take you so far right and i think what happens is like like i i really feel like eat perform is the perfect community for new power eating right um because you know susan doesn't really have the bandwidth or want to do that right and when you look at when you look at what we do and how we do it it's not like other dieting groups Right. And so so there's a lot of dieting groups out there that are really having all these discussions that don't set people up for success. They're not watching other people succeed. I will say that you can say it a, a bunch of ways, and I'll try and say think of the nicest way to say it. But some of it is that you're not ready, you know. I know for me, I wasn't ready. It was interesting what you said about alcoholism because the group within alcoholism is helpful. At five years, I left AA, like hard stop, right? Um, now I still have connections. And when I go to an AA meeting, like, like, it's like the Grinch, you know, where his, his heart grows three sizes. Every time I go, I love it. But there was a part in my life 
where I had to move on to my life. Right. I started when I was 18, right? At 23, I just needed to build my life, right? And if there's, 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 I, I can't remember, I think his name's Jonah Hari, but he, he, he did a TED talk on addiction. And he talked about that the cure for addiction is not abstinence, it's connection, mm-hmm. right? And that the people that succeed, and I believe that this is why I succeeded, is they have a foundation of love that they can tap into mm-hmm. and their North Star or their heaven, like I was talking about earlier, is love, mm-hmm. right? And not hate. And we've talked about this before, but you know, it's kind of the Lee Peel idea of you can't hate yourself lean. You know, mm-hmm. you can, right? But you don't go as far as you will with love, mm-hmm. right? And so I just thought it was important to bring up the planning thing, but you're 100% correct that it's the coaching piece that walks you through those hurdles that allows you to build that foundation. And I guess sometimes my blind spot is that that's my life every single day, right? Mm-hmm. And so so I appreciate you bringing that up. Early on, okay, so here's the other part that a lot of people don't know, you know, is when I went through my AP phase and, and, and performance phase and, and stuff like this, you know, so I, I think I mentioned it, if I didn't mention it, I was 50, right? I hadn't died in, t- in, in 10, 11 years. Um, and decided to clean things up a little bit, right? So I did an e-perform fat loss phase. When the performance phase was done, I quit counting macros. One of the things that I need you to hear that Susan is a huge, huge proponent of, stop thinking of food as macros and start thinking of macros as food right? And when you move to these other phases, right? For me, you know, once you look, once you get to 3,500 calories, you know, you realize you can have enough flexibility there that it's really not that big of a deal. And then, you know, when we look at the difference, um, I mean, it should be, I, I have to bring up this point. I brought it up in the podcast in the, in the past, I'm a 52 year old man. I am currently being treated for uh, testosterone replacement. That has been going on for almost two years now. When I finished my fat loss phase at 50, one of the things that I wanted to allow myself mentally to do was not be so focused on weight because I know that you cannot put on any muscle when you're trying to be lean all the time. It was so funny because one of the, the guys that, um, the guy that I get my testosterone replacement from is a physique competitor, right? And so I said to him, I was like, honestly, I think I'm just gonna be in what we call a performance phase. Um, and and it, it didn't even occur to him like, like someone would do that, right? Um, the... I I will say like we talked a little bit earlier and and I don't want to get too distracted because this is already going long and, and we'll never get this done if we keep doing this, but, but 
you know, physique is a little different than bodybuilders, right? So the people probably have a certain amount of muscle. The competitors probably want to be around 185 to 205. It's not like the people that you see, like Phil Heath and, and these types of guys. And so it really struck him that I wouldn't want to diet and hold on to my muscle. I was like, well, wouldn't it be better if I was eating and exercising more and using it to kind of push that side of things? And he's like, well, yeah. And I was like, so I'm going to do that, right? And that was a want for me. And I've put on roughly about 12 pounds of muscle, right? Um, and so I had had my ceiling at, at 200. And um, we'll, we'll talk about that towards the end. But once I got over 200, I was like, you know what, with the testosterone and the muscle that I've built, I'm okay with my number being 205, right? So I just started setting these, these thought processes in my head so that, you know, I didn't, you know, want to go into these gigantic cutting cycles and, and all this other type of stuff, right? So even now, um, it was kind of funny how we came to the conclusion with my wife and I, neither one of us, I mean, this, this sounds horrible for, you know, a lot of you guys listening to this podcast, but I just don't obsess about my weight. Like, like many of you do. Right. And, and I do hope that some of what I'm saying can get you to that place. And you go, well, of course you don't, Paul, you're a male, right? Well, my wife doesn't either, you know? Um, and, and I think that, you know, we're conscious of being healthy. We go to the doctor, you know, um, I said it before, my wife is a descendant of Swedish farm people. She looks like a descendant of Swedish farm people, you know, um, she, she doesn't diet, you know, three times a year. She diets three times every 15 years, you know, um, and, and even that is probably not what, you know, many of you would view as, as dieting. But what I did want everybody to know is that um, I do go to phases where I do not track food, right? That I eat mostly health foods in good amounts and flexibly. And so to give you a specific, because Susan is not necessarily aware of how the, the bumps within each perform work or, or things of this nature. But as food is coming back, you know, you might move from an English muffin with cream cheese to a bagel with peanut butter, right? And, and that's how I would encourage many of you to view these performance phases, right? Is don't narrow yourself down to, well, I eat a salad and that salad has X amount of chicken and then I drink a whey protein and you become like, sort of super obsessive about that piece. And oh, by the way, in a cut, that does have value. There is going to be some value to some level of rigidity, right? But there's also value in our super days, which are all part of the program. 
Um, many of you who've been dieting and, and can't recall a time that you're, you're not dieting, the super day is actually some of the hardest days for many of you. And it's so important to have that period, even within a cutting cycle where you're eating more, right? Early on, because, you know, like I said, I don't want to really get into the distinction of a mini cut or fat loss, but at the end of the day, both you are cutting calories, right? For a mini cut, I would say that, um, like in my instance, I would have been eating 3,000 to 3,500 calories. You know, my calories came anywhere between the range of 2,100 to 1,800, right? Um, and that period lasted for five and a half weeks. So we're not talking about like a three month cutting cycle or something of this nature. It's just really like a cleanup. Now in that time, you know, <laughs> the cleanup went well, right? It was, you know, I, I had lost uh, what was eight and a half pounds. And, uh, and now even as we're reversing, I've gotten three bumps since then, I'm still losing a little bit of weight, right? Um, because you know, I'm still in a deficit as obviously um, the weight loss would show you. Before I hand it off to, there's a lot to unpack, I'm sure. Before I hand it off to Susan, I want to say that dehydration plays a big role in any dieting cycle, right? That what you eat, and how much you eat actually does hold water into your body. And that's what allows you to work out great and all this other type of stuff. So there's a lot of diets that go, he must be talking about eating or drinking eight glasses of water. Eight glasses of water isn't going to necessarily hydrate you if you're eating a lot of foods that don't lend itself to being hydrated, like low carb eating as an example, or um, you're working out nonstop. So, so, you know, you're kind of artificially dehydrating yourself that way, but the without water or without electrolytes, water isn't nearly as effective. And most people are using it as a way of dealing with hunger. This is why you, people have asked me, why don't you have a water thing in the Eat to Perform app? Because I'm not trying to set up a scenario where you drink eight cups of water to deal with your hunger. You shouldn't be hungry most of the time because you shouldn't be dieting most of the time. Does that mean that you shouldn't make water a responsibility, uh, uh, an important part? Yes, right? But we you're going to be more hydrated when food is higher and you're going to be struggle with hydration when food is lower. And you need to know that that's not, you know, people are like, Oh, I lost 20 pounds just eating low carb. It's like magic. It's like, it's not magic. You just pulled all the water and glucose out of your body. Right. And that's also why you're not working out and don't feel energetic and, and, and things of this nature. Even with eat to perform, as you eat less, you're going to struggle a little bit with hydration, right? And so you're going to get to a point 
where, so for me, I use liquid IV. I also use Vitargo. Actually, that's funny that you mentioned Vitargo earlier because Vitargo is one of the things that comes back, right? Well, it's one of the foods mm. that, because it loads so well, right? I actually think that um, I'm at my lowest weight right now, partially because Vitargo loads so well and I can still stay hydrated. But I also use liquid IV, um, which is a little less calorie point, mm -hmm. especially in fat loss, mm -hmm. right? But I think it's really, really important to know there's a lot of people out there that, you know, are almost purposely dehydrating themselves. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it might feel good to have the, the scale going a little bit, you know, down, but your recovery is awful when you do that, right? So there's a lot to unpack and, and I obviously took most of the time, but, but can you give some insights on just like that whole block? I just, you know, I am gonna wrap it up with a very brief story because I always think the comments that people make that I talk with are often the most telling. And so um, the, the, I, as I, I always talk about that, that I live and I try and guide my clients and the, my audience into a world of abundance rather than a world of scarcity. And uh, a very successful um, in, in, you know, in business uh, gentleman called me a number of years ago and said, I really need your guidance. I was a high school and a, and a uh, NCAA, you know, he was a highly successful athlete. He went on into business and was wildly successful. And he always continued to exercise, but through the years that he went into business, he wasn't as active. He had a lot of sedentary days. And, um, and so he read, how do you maintain your, your body weight while you're sedentary and just, you know, kind of a weekend warrior. And he cut his calories and his diet way down in order to maintain what he thought was the body weight that he wanted. And it took a couple years and he called me and I said, so why, you know, you sound like you're really successful. Like you, you're at your goals. Why are you calling? And he said, you know what, doc? I can't waste my time in the gym any longer. I'm not getting anywhere. I go religiously. I train. And for years I've been lifting and nothing is happening. I can't improve my performance no matter what exercise I'm doing. I need diet guidance. And, and this is exactly what Paul is talking about, that when you follow the, the world of, of scarcity, the sense that you do better with less, that you restrict you know, this 1200 calorie diet is based on your basal metabolic rate. I mean, that means if you do nothing but sit still all day long, that you woke up, you went to the bathroom, you sat back down and you never moved again. That is for many people as we age becomes our, and we, and we stop exercising, that may be your basal metabolic rate. And so that's not your goal to only fuel that, 
And if that's all you're fueling, don't expect to accomplish anything else, whether it's in your mind or your body. And you certainly, as we continue to age, and we're all aging, whether it's by the day, the week, the month, or the year, the less you fuel yourself, the more you're moving backwards. The, the, you, it is not you know, two steps forward and one step back, it's two steps forward and three steps back. You're not getting anywhere. Um, and so, so why not? Why and people not? know that. And people know that. They, they feel that what you just said in their bones, but they just can't get past it sometimes because they don't have practical experience. And that is where coaching matters. And, and so it's kind of what I do with people when they come to me, I say, so just try this, like try it for two weeks, just try it. What's going to happen to you in two weeks, anything that you can't reverse? And they all go, no. And I say, then just try this for two weeks. And believe me, within days, I get calls saying, oh my God, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. What is this? What is doing? It's like, oh, well, you're, you're finally feeding yourself. Um, it is, it's, it's a dramatic difference. And then over time, the results that you can get. But we are fed this bill of goods about eating less and, uh, and less and less and less, barely eating. I call it not enough to fuel a pigeon. And so, so to, to understand that if you have any goals at all, you actually need to fuel those goals and not to be so timid and so afraid to not tr just try something new because you may be looking at Eat to Perform or seeking, you're seeking help because whatever you're doing hasn't been working. And so why just continue what you've been doing? Try something new. Try, try to feel like your body does work. Don't think of it as, as, a, as it's broken, which is what the diet world teaches us. You are broken and only right. we can fix you. And that's just not true. Your body is responding exactly as it needs to, to survive, but not to thrive. And so if you want to thrive, try something like Eat to Perform. And I, I don't mean to sound like a commercial. It's just, it really is a great solution with the coaching, with the, the science basis of how we can do better and ultimately make your life easier. Not easy, none of this is easy, but it can be easier when you have a foundation that guides your choices. And, and that's that's what I try and do with my clients. Um, I want them to be able to operate ultimately without me. Um, right. That and they, I, I, I think that's, that's what I think that's what you do too. Oh, 100%. I mean, like, like, you know, I think we talked about this with the recent podcast that most dieting is actually set up. The business model is set up for you to fail. Right. Right. Like the most important part of any diet, I think you and I would agree is normalizing calories. That is not taught at all, right? right? So when you say, you know, I want my people to succeed, what you're really saying is, is that the part, the heaven, 
right? The North Star is, is the part where you're not dieting. That's the part no one else is teaching. Right. Like literally no one else is teaching. Like I know Weight Watchers, as an example, says something about, you know, maintenance. And we already talked about maintenance, so we won't go there. But, but, um, but they don't give you a parameter on how to get to maintenance, right? There's no program. Like if, if we said, what's the hardest part? The hardest part is as you move back to your normal calories, right? And so I'm going to get into some specifics there. And then, then, you know, literally we could get into this other piece and it could be three podcasts. So, you know, I have dinner, so it's not going to be three podcasts. It's going to be five minutes. Um, so the goal, of course, is to get back to the 3,000 to 3,500 calories where I feel best. You know, it's been interesting. Um, the my creatine is more effective with carbs, you know, it loads better. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it's been so interesting. Um, adding the the Vitargo back right um, into the mix because even even in the phase where um, you know I wasn't counting, I wasn't using Vitargo as much, I was just relying on rice and and real food and things of this nature. And one of the things that I decided was that I would start um, adding in Vitargo once my calories started to get up. So I wanted to give you, you folks some specifics so you know where we are now. Um, and first of all, neither of us are where we're going to land. We don't know where we're going to land because maintenance is not a number that is specific. The minute you say, I want to be this, you know, let's say 143 pounds, and you focus on that piece more than you do fueling your performance and things of this nature, you've already set up a failure scenario that is not based on abundance like Susan was talking about. Right. So you have to look for ways to push that. And that's something you will not do. That is actually when you look at the basis for what we do and why we're so good at it, why you see so many amazing transformations. It's because of that part where you put we're pushing you to eat more than you would feel comfortable eating sometimes. Right. Allowing foods back in that were used to be on your naughty list. Right. They don't need to be on your naughty list. I mean, the idea of drinking carbs, oh my God, right? The majority of people would think that that's horrible. When you're drinking starches, right, which is what the targo is, it's going to load really well. And, and you know, you can is another good one that, that's really good, that's very popular in the endurance. Um, but, but I think we would both agree because Susan is, is suggesting that Vitargo is better. I also agree that Vitargo is better. Stomach comfort, you know, yeah. and, and, and different uh, different application, right? You can is very yeah. slow, Vitargo is very fast, but it's stomach comfort. So, so, so my wife's at 2,200 right now. Once again, not where she's going to land. She's going to land more than that. Um, I'm at uh, 2,800. Once again, not where I'm going to land. Um, I do think both of us will continue to lose a little bit of weight. I did want to kind of go over one little piece 
because Susan just said something that a lot of people listen to and go, okay, I did that. And she was speaking specifically to trying something different than, than you had done. So I was talking to this lady this week and she was eating 1100 calories and she's only, she, she is at one of our baseline plans, right? And so she's eating 1700 calories right now and she's only down three pounds, only down three pounds. And I said to her, I said, we just performed a miracle on you and, and, and it's your focus that isn't allowing you to recognize the miracle we just performed. You were eating 1100, right? And now you're eating 1700 and you're down three pounds, right? And then some people listening to this go, yeah, but I'm down, I'm up one pound or I'm up two pounds. If you started this coming from a thousand calories or 1100 calories, which is way more common than, than most people would think out there, right? There's going to be some discomfort in moving to this new, better way. But what I want you to very clearly understand is that it's not the 1700 that's going to make you lose weight when you're eating 1100 before. It's going through the phases and getting your metabolism back to where you build enough, you put enough coins in the piggy bank so that you can make a withdrawal. The problem is you are making so many withdrawals for so many years that we've got to fix the first thing first. And so, so you focusing on the fact that you're only down three pounds as, as we're, we're recovering is missing the whole point, right? We're not saying to you that as you eat more, you're going to create a deficit. You might, right? You might have more energy. You might be able to do more things in the gym and stuff like that. But that's not really the goal of what that point is at that particular phase, right? What we're trying to do, especially in the case of this lady, is assess where you're at, right? And once we have that assessment, we'll be able to take you through the various phases and get you success. But the problem is, is if you're in a 30-day challenge world, if you're in a sugar detox world, if you're in a detox detox world, right, where all of these short-term fixes is your religion, you know, then you're kind of missing the big point, right? And, and I know, as, I know it as, scares as people talked, to hear. It does. As we've talked about, almost every single woman that walks into my office, I add 800 to 1,000 calories a day. Right. And they're and not so, all elite athletes. Right, right. That's how much of a deficit they that, are in. That's what kills me with the CrossFit Games athletes saying you haven't earned your carbs, right? It's like, okay, 27-year-old elite athlete, right? <laughs> just, because, just because many of which are under eating, by the way, you know, you don't know these people. You don't know their reality 
And, and you saying things like that is setting up this negative paradigm for them that suggests that they should not be able to eat like a normal person, right? And, and the fact is just like, you know, as you're saying, this lady that's eating 1,100 calories a day and that at 1,700 calories she lost weight is, is, is a dramatic representation of how much she's under eating because in fact, for many of the people or most of the people that I work with when they come in under eating and their goal, the problem is weight loss is not a goal, it's an outcome. We've had this conversation before, but um, typically when you have been restricting, the minute you, you fuel yourself well, the minute you have some carbs in your diet, the minute you start to eat more food, you, it's all taken up in your system. I want to see my clients, regardless of what their goals are or what their hopes are with their bodies down the road, I wanna see an increase on the scale. That tells me that if they're training hard and they're fueling the way I've told them and hydrating the way I've told them to, that they've actually done everything right. And that makes the scale go up in the beginning. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just think this idea of you, you come to a place dieting and then you're actually at this place not dieting and all of a sudden that that place is supposedly going to fix the problem, then you don't really understand the actual problem. Right. right. And the and the scale in the end is is actually quite irrelevant because yeah. all it tells you is the relationship of your body to gravity. It has nothing to do with what's going on in your body um, functionally, uh, composition wise, you know, muscle fat, you know, bones, all of that doesn't tell you anything. It's a number that the diet world has decided has some relevance that unless you really are trying to lose very large amounts of weight that you know that you're trying to get somewhere with a, with, with a, a total body weight, it, it, it's, it's incredibly inaccurate, dysfunctional and meaningless. Well, and you know, what's interesting, I talked about when I was 149, um, since that time, I put on 30 pounds of muscle, right? Like, because for a million reasons, this has already gone long. Um, I, you know, I don't even really want to say this, but, but I feel like I have to say it. I found my mental space changing. Now, you just need to know that when you under eat, it forces a chemical reaction in your body and your brain and all these different things. Your brain, specifically carbohydrates, lives on glucose, right? Not just that, many other things are affected that can actually open you up to depression and just a mental dysfunction, right? That's not normal when you're being adequately fed. I found myself talking about food more and, 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 and my posts, if you go back to my post two months ago, right. When this first started, what you'll see is that I didn't sound like Paul for me to perform sometimes. 
right? I sounded like Dieter Paul, right? <laughs> and I, and I, it, I'm aware of this. I understand when you take away food, how it affects you. The majority of people, they're like, I'm just hangry. No, you're, you're, you are having a chemical reaction to, you know, being underfed, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's all this discussion about are you in starvation mode and, and all this other type of stuff. Look, they, you're not meant to, to, to undereat, right? You're meant to, you know, function well, you're meant to eat well. And what I found was, is I was talking more about like beast mode kind of stuff, right? Where I was talking myself into working out for the day. What I don't normally have to talk myself into because I'm well fed and I'm feeling closer to 100% and things of this nature. And so when you're seeing someone on Instagram and they're telling you about how their beast mode switch is on, I want you to consider whether or not they're on a diet, right? And that they actually have to talk themselves in to putting their running shoes on that day or all these different things that go on. Because I think that the majority of health and fitness spends more time trying to market that idea. And they also feel this pressure. I don't feel this pressure. I know Susan doesn't feel this pressure because we're not, trying to put our abs on Instagram nonstop, right? But it is a pressure that a lot of them feel. And I need you to understand that, that I just experienced it. And, and, and when you go through a reduction in food, especially when you're someone that is kind of a mentor for people when they're reducing food, there's just all these psychological things that that sort of go on. And then once I started to realize like, okay, this beast mode thing is not really me, right? Um, I, I kind of toned it down. Um, but early on, you know, early on, uh, you know, I was experiencing headaches. Uh, I probably had to resort to, I never used like ibuprofen or Tylenol or anything like that, but I don't play when I get a headache, (laughs) right? So like for the first week before my body kind of adjusted, you know, I was taking Tylenol, you know? And I think a lot of times when people are going through this kind of stuff, they, they, is this normal? It's like, well, yeah, it's normal. You're intentionally stressing out your body for a specific response. That response being to use store bodily fat for fuel. Right. So, yeah, your body's going to react to that kind of poorly because it would rather not do it if possible. Right. Um, and so so I wanted everyone to kind of know that piece. We could go deep into that. Um, I do think that we covered it. Right. Um, I, I, I know that a lot of people in the next couple of weeks, this is why I wanted to do it, are going to be in cleanup mode or maybe actually in a fat loss mode. But what I want you to consider is that when you make a dramatic result, right? Because maybe you were overfeeding over the holidays or maybe COVID got to you and, and it overwhelmed you. And, and we get to working on some foundations with the coach and, and maybe in that process, you lose 20 to 30 pounds. 
that's not the end game. That's not the goal. The goal is the part where you're with your family at a restaurant. It's your daughter's birthday. And, and I mean, my daughter just came back from college. My wife and I were, um, we were full into finishing and we were trying to, to nail things down. It did not occur to us that we would not go to the place that my daughter goes to when she's back in town from college. It was not an option to avoid it. I, I think there's way too many people showing up to parties with Tupperware of their prepared meals and things like that. And I'm not saying maybe there isn't a moment for that. But I wanted to go further than you can have a cookie every now and again, and then everything else is cheap meals. And the majority of the time you're under eating, right? The majority of the time you should have enough calories to be able to enjoy your meals, have a glass of wine, enjoy a margarita with your Mexican food. When you're out with your friends, life is about abundance. Life is about joy, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I know these messages kind of sound similar to a lot of other people, but when you look at the other messages on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they were doing two a days and they're paying a price for all this. I just want you to know, you don't have to pay the price. I'm not working out like crazy, right? I only work out right now three to four times a, a, a week, right? Because I'm focusing more on muscle building and strength at this moment. But I, I still get in my walks every single day. That's a priority for me. But, but you're not going to see, you know, two a days. I'm not going to be paying the price. You know, um, and and I just want everybody to kind of understand that, and and hopefully this generates some conversation with you and your family, so that we can start to get this discussion going in the right direction. Because currently it is not. So, all right. So I know I've taken Susan's time up here. Um, any last words? No, just listen and think about it. Take some time to really think about it. Be mindful. Of, of the words that, especially this last part of what Paul said, I think it's critically important, especially in these times where maybe shifting our focus on, on, uh, on health, <laughs> um, in mind and body, uh, lasting health, long-term happiness, uh, and how we get there. And I think this is a big piece of it. All of the things that are really important right all right well i appreciate you taking the time to do this and hope you can have a great weekend most people listening to this probably won't hear it till monday so but we're recording this on friday so i appreciate everybody taking the time to listen and hopefully it helps you as you set up what will make you successful for when you do it so talk to you later bye now bye